Welcome, friends, to another episode of the Health Disparities Podcast. We're recording on May 20th, 2020, and we hope you're all doing well during these difficult and extraordinary times. The Health Disparities Podcast explores health equity, diversity, and inclusion through conversations with people who are working to eliminate disparities and inequities. And it's my great pleasure to welcome someone who's been working hard to keep patients informed. Dr. Stuart Fisher is a native of Jersey City and received his MD degree from Columbia University. Dr. Fisher went on to complete two years of general surgery training at Emory University affiliated hospitals and a residency in orthopedic surgery at New York Orthopedic Hospital, Columbia Presbyterian Medical Center in New York. He currently practices at Overlook Hospital in Summit and the Center for Ambulatory Surgery in Mountainside. He also has courtesy privileges at St. Barnabas in Livingston. He has been the author of 100 Questions and Answers about Hip Replacement. This is a 250-page guide for patients planning total hip surgery. Dr. Fisher is actually my boss, and I'll go on to explain that, uh, in the fact that I serve on the editorial board of orthoinfo.org, and Dr. Fisher is the editor in charge and this is the American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeon Patient Information website, which is www.orthoinfo.org. And it represents the largest orthopedic patient information site in the world. I am an orthopedic surgeon. I'm also past chair of the American Academy of Orthopedic Surgery Diversity Advisory Board and also uh, past founder and president of the American Association of Latino Orthopedic Surgeons. And so with uh, no further ado, I'd like to welcome uh, Dr. Fisher. Ramon, thanks very much. And, you know, we've been working together now for a dozen years on this project, and uh, it's been a true pleasure. Likewise, likewise, for sure. So let's go through, let's go through a, a couple of topics. And the first one I'd like to talk to you about, and I'd like to to describe for us uh, what is OrthoInfo? Well, OrthoInfo, of course, is a website, and it's created by the American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons, which is our large orthopedic group in the United States and is really worldwide because we have many international members. OrthoInfo is the website that's dedicated to patients and dedicated to providing information about orthopedic problems and treatment to patients. It's something that patients can use as a reference point before they go to a doctor, after they go to a doctor, or when they're considering some sort of orthopedic intervention. As you know, patients look more and more to the web now and to other types of internet information to get healthcare information. So our job is to provide the best information that we can, reliable information, and information that we as orthopedic surgeons would want to give to our patients. Perhaps the most important thing isn't just giving the information, but it's presenting the information in a way that patients can see, read, and understand. So it's not just the text that you have on a page, it's how you get to that text, and also the pictures, illustrations, videos, animations that support the text. So we try to present it all in a way that users can see, understand, 
and benefit from. Tell me about the article you, you wrote, which I found very interesting on, uh, on COVID. Well, COVID really has two, fa- two facets now. The first thing that uh, we wanted to tackle is what happens to patients who were scheduled to have surgery and then couldn't have it because hospitals were devoting all their energy and resources to taking care of COVID patients. So what we wanted to do is provide some basic information for COVID patients, uh, how to treat things like arthritis and carpal tunnel and spinal stenosis non-surgically until you can have the surgery. So it was an interesting thing to present. Then we got a bunch of authors, individual authors, to write about different things, such as, can COVID affect my bones and joints? How do I do telemedicine? Uh, And things like that. Now we're looking at reopening the healthcare system to elective surgery. So we've just published a series of FAQs, or frequently asked questions, um, about how to approach the return to surgery. Patients want to know, is it safe to do? Uh, If they've been sick, can they have surgery? Will they be tested beforehand? And is the facility uh, ready to tackle this kind of problem? So we've been all over the board dealing with COVID. We've published a whole section with about 15 articles, and it's been quite an effort. So your target audience are patients? Well, most of our patients come to us through an or what we would call an organic search or a search engine. In fact, 89% of our patients come to us through a Google search. And that's pretty logical. I mean, when you think about it, if you have a broken bone or a torn ligament in your knee or shoulder, you're not going to think about that on a day-to-day basis until it happens to you or a member of your family. All of a sudden, you have a condition that you need to treat and you want to know how to do it. So then you're going to turn for a source of easy information. That's when patients come to us. Believe it or not, other doctors look at our site. Not so much orthopedic surgeons because they're going to know all the material, but internists and pediatricians and doctors and other specialties who want some basic orthopedic information. Kind of an interesting phenomenon. Yes, I'm sure that a lot of physicians who may not be so familiar with the orthopedics as such uh, may uh, use it as a primer. Bringing it back to disparities a little bit, uh, I am involved in education, and I found that in certain cities, there are disparate groups in their ability to get information. They may not have access to the internet. Uh, I know in uh, San Jose, which is a very large city, the 10th largest in the United States, uh, in East San Jose, where uh, I'm involved with three uh, charter high schools, uh, and then we went to remote learning, we found that 50% of our students did not have internet at home uh, or the ability to get internet. We were able to, to facilitate this But so can you tell us a little bit of how you might look at that? Well, it's an interesting thing because we have looked at that and we've thought about it as we present information. You know, the Pew Research Organization uh, looked at some of these numbers and in some minority communities, uh, particularly black and Latino communities, not everyone has access to internet, but many more people have access 
to internet by smartphone. So they may not have a desktop computer at home, but just about everybody these days has a phone. And most of the people who have phones have smartphones. So one of the things that we do and we did when we redesigned our site three years ago was to make it presentable on a smartphone screen. Now, it's kind of an interesting phenomenon. These days, the sweet spot is a smartphone with a screen between five and six inches. So as we redesigned our site, we thought about that. In other words, the average user, user may not even, may have internet at home, but maybe in a place, maybe riding on a bus, maybe walking down the street, or, or maybe in work where they don't have internet readily available, but people can get this information on their smartphone. So we try to make our site adaptable to smartphones and similar devices. And I think it's worked. I agree with you. And I really think the Academy needs to be applauded for that, for that effort directly uh, to reach a, this target audience. And just to emphasize that the Latino community does have a much greater increased reliance on, on the cell phones and use it uh, quite a bit. Can you tell me the uh, number of hits, as they call it, uh, that uh, uh, OrthoInfo enjoys? We get about 3 million viewers a month, and that's from all across the globe. So we're pretty proud and happy about that. And uh, about 70 to 80% of them are unique viewers, that is to say, first-time viewers. You would expect that because, as I say, people don't come to the site unless they have a particular condition. Uh, but our number is about 3 million a month. How do you know what information might be of greatest interest to the visitor of your website? Well, we try to cover the whole spectrum of orthopedics, but then follow which articles are the most viewed. And it's a, surprise, it's a surprising group of articles. So we follow that and we pay particular attention to those articles. Uh, as orthopedic surgeons, we have some idea of the information that our patients would be looking for. Sometimes we're surprised. We do have surveys <clears throat> which we run periodically at the end of every article. You know, was this information helpful? Could we have provided something else? But we do track which articles are the most viewed, and it's surprising. It's compression of the ulnar nerve at the elbow. You wouldn't think that would be uh, as widely searched, but it is. Surprisingly, we get over a million viewers on that article alone. We get a lot of viewers on ganglions of the hand and wrist. We get a lot on carpal tunnel. We get a lot on sprained ankles and a lot on stress fractures. Believe it or not, those articles get more views than things like hip fractures or shoulder fractures or total hip or total knee. It's surprising, but that's the way it is. I, I would think as a member of the, of the board, uh, when I see these article retrievals, retrievals and how they uh, hone in on these articles, I, mean, I was very surprised by that uh, one of the only nerve at the elbow, but uh, it's because... I think like for total knees and total hips, there's a commercial aspect to that. And the industry itself puts out an awful lot of information uh, uh, regarding that you see uh, direct to patient ads were about knee replacement, about uh, hip replacement, but you don't see that about compression neuro uh, neuritis of your elbow or something. I think there's another reason for that. And it's because 
ulnar nerve compression is not easily understood. Typically, you go to your doctor and you might have elbow pain or you might have numbness in the fourth and fifth fingers of your hand or some constellation of symptoms like that. And your doctor explains it to you and you say, what ulnar nerve? What is that? I don't really understand that. Of course, your doctor runs through it in a 10 or 12 minute visit. You're out the door. Then you come home and say, well, you said something about the ulnar nerve and something about the elbow. I've got to find out more about that. And I think that's the genesis of, of our viewership there. Uh, as you say, there are a large number uh, of commercial interests that are putting out information on hips and knees and things like that. So uh, viewers have a wider range of choices. They sure do. And that is interesting too. And so um, I know that, uh, that industry uh, sees industrial injuries or work injuries, repetitive injuries, cumulative trauma type injuries in which uh, upper extremities are involved uh, from repetitive uh, even things like keyboarding or repetitive pushing, pulling, grasp, grasp, grasping and gripping. And uh, these might be uh, the level of workers that uh, get affected and they want to know more about, uh, about, about these issues and, and go forward with their treatment or not go forward with their treatment. A woman brought her 13-year-old daughter uh, into the office with a painful knee and I felt a lump just above the knee. And I told her, I thought that she had a particular type of benign tumor that affects adolescents called an osteochondroma. I said, let's do an X-ray and that'll show it. And she looked at me and said, osteochondroma. Well, how do you spell that? So her daughter went in to get an X-ray and I spelled it out and she immediately took out her tablet and while her daughter was getting an x-ray, was looking up osteochondroma. She came back, the daughter came back, we looked at the x-ray, put it up on the board, and I pointed out the tumor to them. And the mother said, well, this is painful. She's going to need surgery, isn't she? And I said, yes. She says, I understand now exactly what it is. So kind of an interesting phenomenon. People are looking for information, however they can get it. And not only before a visit or after a visit, but actually during an during office a visit. <laughs> that is a quick response. Uh, so you know, bringing the surgeon into it in the sense, would you like to see more surgeons themselves sending their patients to orthoinfo.org? Yeah, sure. We, we like to do that. And we encourage surgeons who are academy members to do that because we provide what we think is patient information at a good level that patients can understand. We also provide good illustrations, some videos, some animations. But beyond that, it's unbiased information. In other words, we're not promoting one procedure or one treatment versus another. A surgeon knows when he sends a patient to our site, they're going to get very level information that just about all orthopedic surgeons would agree with. So yes, we want patients to, we want physicians to send their patients to us, and I think they're doing it. Right. And uh, who writes these articles? Well, as you know, we have an editorial board of 13 people. 
Then we have each of the editors solicits contributors. So we have a wide range of contributors, anywhere from 50 to 100 people have contributed articles to the site, perhaps even more. So what happens is the editor seeks a writer who is qualified to talk about that particular topic. The topic is written. The section editor reviews it, passes it on for staff review. Uh, I look at it as editor-in-chief. But by the time it gets posted, multiple eyes have looked at this article, evaluated it for content, readability, uh, and accuracy. I'm proud to tell my patients when I refer them to this site that it, it is non-biased, if you would. It is not uh, self-aggrandizement. Uh, in other words, they're not doing it for their own gain or good, the surgeons, and, and that it is, it is evidence-based. And, uh, and I explained that to them. Uh, if I see a patient and they have not heard about orthoinfo.org uh, and they have a problem with an ankle sprain or let us say, I will um, in front of them say, this is how you approach this. Uh, and I'll browse it on the computer. And then it says, print this article. I print it out. My uh, medical assistant brings it into them. Here it is in vivid living color. I mean, they're very impressed with that. And then I, I sign them homework that the next visit when they come back in, I expect that to be read <laughs> and digested. So I think I'm informing my patient. I really feel good about uh, doing that. Well, that's, a good, that's a good thing. Of course, if you tell them it's homework, they may or may <laughs> not do it. <laughs> exactly. I never did mine, so... Tell me, uh, how have we addressed diversity and culture sensitivity on orthoinfo.org? That's a great question, and we've addressed it in several ways. Uh, firstly, on our homepage, for the longest time, we don't have it now because of the COVID crisis, uh, we highlighted the Academy's Faces in Orthopedics program. So we, we devoted a full panel with multiple links to that so that that patients could understand how committed the academy is to diversity. The way that we've addressed it on OrthoInfo is to translate uh, some of our most viewed articles, which you've done so nicely for us, into Spanish and Portuguese. And uh, we think that this has been a big thing, Spanish in particular. You know, when you look at it, when you look at things across the globe, Spanish is the fourth most spoken language on the planet. And there are between 400 and 500 million people who speak Spanish. So that's a huge number. And we want to reach, we want to be able to reach them all. You know, in our illustrations, we have a lot of doctor patient pictures. And one of the things that we've tried to do is to present pictures of both doctors and patients who model diversity. So we have male and female doctors. We have white patients, patients of color. We have doctors with white hair. We have doctors with a full head of hair. And we have doctors with no hair. And that's, a, that's our clue to diversity. Well, you know, I think uh, I've noticed that too in those articles. And, and uh, patients uh, like that. And uh, I know I'm involved with the uh, Spanish uh, articles themselves. And they are directly targeted to the Latinx uh, population. And they, do, they enjoy that. They enjoy the fact that uh, 
they're being told uh, and they read in uh, very readable Spanish uh, for them. And it's not highfalutin Spanish so that uh, it goes above their head. Uh, I believe the level is just like in English. In English, our, uh, the level for OrthoInfo is that seventh grade, something like that? Well, we try to keep it. We try to keep it at eighth grade. Of course, bear in mind that a reading level score is just a computer formula. What makes an article readable is how it's written, how it's presented, and how it's illustrated. And in particular, I like to say that the illustrations are important. So I have a slogan when I'm doing an article is that when it comes to explaining things to patients, a picture is worth a thousand surgeons. Uh, <laughs> exactly right, Stuart. And uh, it reminds me of my times with patients that uh, I would draw on the uh, examining table sheet. And uh, uh, I would, and patients started asking me, can they tear out that drawing and take it home with them? And so uh, I've started doing that with them. And uh, they really it hits home for them and they understand it uh, quite well. Tell us a bit about your work for AAOS Now. And uh, I know that uh, either through the Academy or through AAOS Now, you've been able to enjoy interviewing uh, individuals like Ben Carson and Steve Forbes. And can you tell us what were the highlights of meeting those guests and what you learned or what do we learn? Well, I've been very lucky to be able to do those things. Steve Forbes is a charming individual. Uh, we talked a lot about non-orthopedic things such as flat tax and uh, gold standard and um, some things as related to health care. Perhaps his most memorable line was to say that, you know, we put patients in a hospital two to a room, but no cheap motel would do that. Food for thought. Um, <laughs> Dr. Ben Carson at that time was just about to announce his run for the presidency. Um, again, a wonderful man to sit down and talk to, uh, somewhat low on specifics. Um, he spoke more in terms of general political platitudes and slogans than he really did in terms of getting to specifics. Nonetheless, interesting man. I think my favorite interview was with Steve and Koki Roberts. Uh, Koki Roberts, as you know, has passed on. She was the right. ABC journalist, but a charming and pleasant lady, chock full of information, and just an enjoyable person to spend some time with. Her husband, Steve Roberts, is also a well-known journalist and is a professor at George Washington University. Uh, ironically, he was my daughter's college advisor. So we spent a good amount of time together and they were absolutely charming and it was fun. Oh, great, great. You, uh, in looking more at uh, Steve uh, Forbes in depth, I personally learned that uh, he really is uh, uh, on some of his publications, uh, big on uh, diversity, on uh, diversity and inclusion and on uh, on COVID and uh, addresses those issues with very good knowledge and articulates it very well. Well, Steve Forbes is interesting because yes, he is very big on diversity, 
But more than more than that, uh, he made the transition from print to digital seamlessly. As you know, his father started Forbes magazine, which was a print empire. But when Steve came in, he saw the future coming. And we spoke about his transitional transition to an all digital world. And he was able to do it very, very successfully. Uh, interesting in that regard. And by the way, his son-in-law is an orthopedic surgeon. So is there anything else that uh, you may want to add or give us a take home message or on the part of orthoinfo.org? Yes, a couple of things. Firstly, I need to thank you personally for all you've done to provide translation and re reach out to our Latino communities and help them get patient information. So I really need to express my personal thanks and gratitude uh, to you. Secondly, we I think that a patient who is educated is a better patient so that the more information about a problem or about a physician's care or hospital care that patients have, the better they'll do. The more that you can get patients involved with their treatment, the better results you'll have. So our goal at OrthoInfo is to provide information and get patients involved. I think orthoinfo.org has an excellent uh, editor-in-chief. So uh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and thank you very much for joining us today. We wish you continued success and impact with all your initiatives at orthoinfo.org. And uh, hopefully we'll see you at the Movement and Life Caucus in November um, if things come to pass as they should. And that's gonna be in Washington, DC again. Um, and thank you, our, our listeners, wherever you are. Uh, see our podcast page on our website for resources mentioned in this podcast. Be safe, be strong. Be well uh, and join us again. Thank you. <laughs>